All right, welcome to Podcasting with Scotch. Of in Canada. I'm your host, Tom, and with me this week are... Dan. Mike. We're a little bit short-staffed. A little bit, you can say. <laughs> That's not nice to say about Ward. Come on. <laughs> well, he, we'd be, no, no, that would be the bad joke if he was here. Oh, right, right. Go yeah, on. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I guess we can probably just skip a lot of bullshit today and maybe talk about how some real content that'll be super focused and very useful and on the point. Because it's only three of us, I'm, so... I'm trying not to laugh and failing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so let's just start things off with uh, This Week in Hobby. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell us what you've been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? Well, I finished half of my Scourge for the Drop Fleet. Uh, started the UCM. They're all primed and base colors are on them now. And I almost finished 15 Fire Slayers, yeah. Nice! So I saw on on Sunday down in the basement you actually had a game of Fire or Drop Fleet. Um, yeah, Drop Fleet. Drop Fleet Commander. Drop now. Oh, brain. Um, you played with your spaceships. I did. Uh, how did the game feel? Uh, actually, it felt really good. Uh, it was. We had small. You have the starter fleet, so it's it's pretty small to start with. But. So it went a lot faster than I actually thought. For playing our first game, it took two and a half hours, which is actually not bad in my books. For a first game under any system, that's pretty good. Yeah. Especially when there wouldn't have been a lot of instructional videos or any information you could have got ahead of time, because it's like, the game is brand new. Brand new, yeah. not been out before. I think one of the reasons why it was easy for me to grasp onto is there's a lot of the rules from Drop Zone Commander that actually kind of flow into drop fleet. So is it similar like energy armor, those kind of mechanics? Pretty close. Like there's one step missing in one area, but I mean, otherwise it's, that's the mechanic. If this happens, same thing happens in drop zone. So, I mean, it was really an easy transition. If you know how to play drop zone commander, this is going to be just a breeze for you. And it was a small game, so we didn't get into a lot of the intricacies and the mechanics of the other stuff that's into it. But, you, I can feel right away. It's like once you get a larger fleet, this is going to have a lot of variety and a lot of synergy to it. So it's it's. A, I'm, I'm really looking forward to bigger fleets and playing this game. Great, good to hear, uh, Dan. What were you? Um, yeah, you know the answer because I was I did it at your house, but um, I know you did, <laughs> and I also did some modeling. <laughs> but, uh, I know you did. <laughs> yeah, so there was um, getting some scenery like prepped up and primed and stuff for a lot of scatter train for like apocalyptic. This is not a test type stuff. So nice. Got some of that and uh, did the airbrushing like appreciating and stuff on the first handful of miniatures from a few different potential crews for that. And I did find a little loophole where I can use potentially two of those crews as one because the Crimson Lance from Borderlands become the Crimson Raiders under Roland for Borderlands 2, so I could actually have the mooks be Crimson Raiders supporting some of the playing characters, so I wouldn't have to try and make, like, an ultra-low model count warband. Yeah, and so the other nice thing is that that means we can start playing games right away. Yeah, because I have a handful of the characters and a handful of the Crimson Lance slash Crimson Raiders all converted and ready. 
So, so how many models would you have done? Um, I think for total conversions and stuff, it's probably about six, five of which could work together in the same game. So, so really one or two more, and you're probably good? Yeah, do you want to convert up um, potentially a medic and or engineer for the Crimson Raiders? Because those were two of the more memorable classes from the original Borderlands. Okay. And doing up another Scorpio turret using one of the uh, minigun turrets from AVP will if, actually be pretty sweet. Yeah, now that you finally... Because we haven't talked about this yet, have we? I think I mentioned it briefly. I think that it was, it was on either the way. coming or I don't know. I mentioned it was, yeah, potentially arriving, but it is here. I saw them. It's actually fact. They're here. And I'm not as excited about it as I would have been like six months ago because it's kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit over the several years. There's moments where I've been super stoked about the game and moments where I could not give a shit. It's kind of somewhere in between right now where I'm not really that excited, but I'm not like completely unexcited either. Yeah, and I think... Uh, the models are, for the most part, quite nice too. I'm pretty sure you did the Kickstarter and you talked about it on one of our first three or four podcasts. Um, and we've been going for almost two years now. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been what? over two years. I think oh, it's been almost three now? It's, wow. it's been like two and a half years or some insane Jesus. Like, it's been forever. It's been for fucking ever. But it's mostly here. Just clear predators and the ridiculously expensive resin corridors and some of the other shit, like the hardcover rule book, stuff like that's not mm-hmm. out yet, but virtually everything else I got. Well, that's good. Uh, anything else? Uh, I think that's it. Um, I guess the main thing for me is I, uh, I, I made my crew for this is not a test. You made so much ALF. Yeah. Um, I, I'm kind of actually almost a little bit in shock that it actually worked out as well as it did. And anyone that's been on our Facebook page will have seen the photos. And, um, yeah, cause I talked about it and in my head I had it built up. It was going to be this thing that was going to take a lot of effort and learning how to sculpt better and really pushing myself and probably take place over the course of, you know, several weeks or a couple months to get everything built and ready to go. And, and then I built it all in a day. And then did the green stuff the next day. Yeah, because apparently uh, if you want, like, pouches and grenades and stuff, you know what you never use on Space Marine sprues? <laughs> <laughs> Pistols, grenades, and all that lovely shit. This is actually the most use I've got out of that, like, company and a half worth of Space Marines that I own. Because I hate... Like, I bought a bunch before I quit the company because it just, like, made sense, right? I was eventually going to do a Space Marine Army, and then I decided that I fucking hated painting Space Marines, which I'm sure you've heard many a time before out in Radio Land. This is shocking to me. Yeah, I know. Um, Didn't see it coming at all. So, yeah, being able to do that, and then I got to use some of the guns that you had, and the conversions were actually really easy. It was just kind of cut off the head so I could get a repose, pin it somehow slightly different, and then... Varying degrees of hacking up their arms, um, using um, just some more pins to kind of work more or less as an armature to get it in place. And then for the, like the really big gaps, I did some quick uh, gap fill with super glue and accelerant to kind of fill in the deepest recesses so I wouldn't have to use all the green stuff. And then, yeah, the nice thing is that the model is not a particularly amazing sculpt to begin with. So, like, matching the cal- the quality of the fur was actually really easy. And I feel like I feel like qualifying that because it's not that they're bad models, it's that there's not a lot of detail or anything. Yeah, no, and absolutely. The fur is not poorly sculpted, it's just, it's it's out. Like, he's not, he's, he, there's not a lot there. He's not wearing belts and weapons and covered in skulls or any of the other stuff. Like, it's just, he's just standing there. And it's also <laughs> that kind of more traditional fur style where really all it is is just kind of like, 
stab and drag with a sculpting tool instead of a lot of the more uh, conventional fur you're getting uh, now where a lot of it's digital designs and it's kind of more of that flowing long-haired fur style you see on a lot of models like anything games workshops doing these days especially the fur is anything, way more detailed especially anything in plastic it's a very different style absolutely so matching the old pewter fur style which and, and you're right it's not that it's a bad sculpt it's just it's sculpted much like every other model would have been about 20 years ago yeah it's simple it's a very simple design and so working with a very simple design was actually really easy and goddamn, i i don't think i've ever been as excited about a game uh, as i am right now because you know it I, I think i talked about this before when i brought up the idea to do it in the first place but it's just that idea of taking off that i'm gonna focus on an army for a tournament and these are the models that I have, and I'm just going to build them because this is what they are, and then paint them up. Because with, so many tournament systems have very specific conversion rules, and a lot, a lot of times these days with the newer style plastics, they're not the same multi-part they used to be, where the arms are all just separate at the shoulders and the legs are just a separate thing from the torso. Yeah, the more the more dynamic and crazy miniatures, like a lot of the GW characters or anything from Malifaux nowadays, like yeah, there are freaking puzzle pieces to put them together. There's not a lot of options. So you basically would have to put it all together and then start hacking and slashing to do conversions, and that is just something I have no desire to do, at least now. Like <laughs> when I go back into my plastic gremlins, I'll probably convert up. Uh, an, another set of four of the basic bayous, so I don't have like two of each. It'll be eight unique ones. Fair. But uh, I, other than that, I haven't. Um, when I was first getting into these games um, and really loving them, I was huge into conversions. Like I remember my, I guess it was my third forty k army, but um, my all grot army, where every model in the army was heavily converted was a blast. It was so much fun to work on. What, because you didn't want to spend like $5 a model on two-point grots? Yeah. Well, there was that. But even like, my buggies were just scrap built for my bits box, and all, <laughs> it was all random stuff, and like the... Oh, like snotling pump wagons covered in 40k bits and stuff? Yeah. There's actually one that was based off of a cannon. And anyway, so we'll talk about that a little bit more later, because I'm getting a little bit too much into some of the content we're actually going to have. Um, but I, it's been a lot of fun, and I got the... Um, all the work done on them, and then I did some pre-shading with an airbrush to kind of block out roughly where I want some of the stuff to be, and I'm hoping this week to start actually getting some regular paint on these models, because in all honesty, because they're relatively simple, I think I could get them up to a decent standard in not too much time. Yeah, you should be, even, like, even if you go a little beyond basic tactical paint. Oh, I will be. It's, of course, it's out. <laughs> I have to. I totally have to. But there's also limitations where the model's like 95% fur. So it's hard to do too much more than like a couple of washes and dry brushes and stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to try and do like pseudo-blended wet brushes a little bit, so it's not quite as chalky as a dry brush. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, like what else are you going to do, <laughs> right? So uh, let's move on to the shut up and take my money component of this. So let's start with you, Dan. Uh, what have you been throwing money at? Or planning to throw money at right now? Uh, I'm trying to think. Then Mike. Oh, Brother oh. Vinny. Brother Vinny stuff. The, one of the websites that I remember seeing years ago and they had some like, I think they had some like weird like pinup girl type models and other things that I pretty much immediately dismissed as not for me. 
They have Fallout looking stuff. Yeah, I saw that. They have oh shit, what is it called? The like nuclear sandlot or something like that. Yeah. And they have a lot of uh, Fallout looking like constructor bots and uh, some vault or vault dweller looking guys and some like irradiated ghoul looking things. And, and they look pretty good too. A couple of power armored guys that really, really, really look like Steel Brotherhood or whatever. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, I think I might have to pick up a couple of those miniatures just for. Fun random things. They won't tie into any of the three or four gangs I'm already converting, but fuck, I need them. Right? <laughs> Must have all the things. And I feel like you should have corrected me and said this is a shut up and take my bottle caps moment. Oh, I like it. Right? I, although I doubt they will actually accept bottle caps. No, but I know some people, they, I know a few people that actually use bottle caps as like markers or currency for this game. Oh, yeah, I've got a bag with like hundreds of them I've been saving. <laughs> nice. You should do what Frodo did and actually fill them with resin. That sounds like work. <coughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Mike, how about you? I actually want to buy the Skaven Blood Bowl team when it comes out. You mean when it gets in restock? Yeah. That's the other thing I'm not happy about. That shit sold out fast. Really? Within a day. I saw yeah. the French copies sold out immediately like they always do in Canada, but I didn't notice the regular copies sold out too. No, the regular, co- the regular game is still there. I think the Death Watch or whatever it is. Or yeah, the Deathmatch. Death, Deathmatch is still there, but it's the Skaven team and Skaven dice are, were sold out within the first day, I think it was. Yeah, I think you still have an option if you go by the um, the old G-Dub first thing on Saturday morning. They'll have some that they've shipped in. Like a couple, I think you said. Yeah, yeah. so you kind of have to be... You, uh, I know of a couple guys that are going to be half-tempted to, so you might want to be there at like 30 minutes in advance kind Holy of shit. thing. The Skaven team's 40 bucks. Yeah. That's US. No, that's the Canadian site. Yeah, it's Oh, is it? It's yeah. $40 for the team. No wonder these things sold out. Starter sets 119. Damn. The season 1 expansion is 30, which has rules for like uh, more campaign rules, more more different teams and that sort of a thing. Oh, neat. And uh, the Skaven dice for 14 bucks, but again, those sold out immediately, so if you're not there like before open, you're fucked. Yeah, it's actually kind of encouraging. I've seen a lot of traction with Blood Bowl. Uh, a lot of people are talking about it, getting excited about it. Um, we actually had two separate Facebook pages pop up locally. Yeah. Because, like, there was the one guy that was really excited about it, and the other guy didn't really know each other. So I just got added to two separate Blood Bowl groups for Edmonton. I think they might have since amalgamated, but it's <laughs> it's kind of weird how, um, how wild everyone's getting for it. And so, Dan, I had a thought Uh-oh. about Blood Bowl. Should I be worried? Yes. Is there an ALF team in the works? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking to myself, I I had so much fun converting these guys, and honestly, like, a Blood Bowl team would be even easier. But will they have belts without pants? No. They're just going to have, like, shoulder pads, probably. Okay. Checks out? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about it anyways. I saw, like, (laughs) so... I don't know. It, it was a thought of just like, how many new more games can I use Alpha in? Like, it could be stitched together in Malifaux and like. Drop Alpha Commander. Drop Alpha Commander. No, no, no. <laughs> Stop me now. Do it. <laughs> hey, hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. Uh, we could use him in Battletech for Alpha Strike. I like it. That'll work. <sighs> um, yeah, so I guess for me. Uh, I actually kickstarted something for the first time since War Machine Tactics. Good luck with that. Um, but it's uh, it's actually the same people that make Fat Mats. Okay. Are making 
photo- photography backdrops where it's sort of the same mouse pad material in that same very flat finish. Okay. Uh, and they've got a, a warm and a cool, and then like a blue to white scale, which I'll probably never use, but if you bought all three for the 60 bucks, it also had the, like a convenient little holder, like a little A-frame kind of thing that holds up the backdrops for you. Oh, neat. And yeah, it was like 60 bucks, so I've been thinking about getting some for a while because... Uh, a, I don't have a good printer, and every time I've tried to like randomly hijack a printer to get some backdrops, it's always been streaky and weird. So, and this way, it's just hopefully they'll not suck. And they're massive; they're fifteen by thirty. Holy shit! So you can actually do like small warbands and stuff all at once. Yeah, which is one of the things I'm most excited about. Where, and I've got the table space to to set something like that up. And you've got a couple of lamps. Just saying. Yeah, I do. I actually, um, I had a lot of fun with. Uh, I kind of clipped some paper towel on in front of them to slightly diffuse, diffuse the light, light a yeah. little bit, and it worked really well. I've been there, <laughs> but I was like, turn the lights off, clip it on, wait like for a minute, turn it on, leave it quick because those light lamps get real hot, and I don't want to just leave paper towel in front of the really hot lamps. And then as soon as you're taking the photos, you turn the lights off again, let them cool for a second, and then you pull everything off. Because um, again, burning down your apartment is a bad idea, kids. Do not do it. Fair enough. Okay, um, <laughs> I guess that's it for that. Let's move on to the first uh, the first period here. Uh, and I think we want to talk to you about our bits. Ooh, <laughs> go on. And how there's, like, good bits and naughty bits. Ooh. Because <laughs> uh, basically, a lot of this has kind of come up from the idea um, that Dan and I were both working on conversions the last little while, and... There was a moment where I was completely stumped on exactly how to work uh, on making my elf models um, look more than just the same dude with a gun. And so I just, I went into my closet and I've got a bunch of pre-sorted bits boxes of a bunch of plastic that's already been clipped off and organized and separated. And honestly, it took like about five minutes of rifling through to find the perfect things, which I I didn't even remember I had those bits. (laughs) But because it wasn't just like a big jumbled, disorganized, massive bits, not only could I find the right thing, but I could find all of the multiples of the right thing really fast. Yeah. So it actually made the whole converting process infinitely easier. I would have to agree. So what I wanted to talk about today are some of the different ways that we'll store our bits, uh, maybe some different advantages or disadvantages of doing so, and kind of go from there. So uh, Dan, why don't you start with how you like to play with your bits? (laughs) Well, first, you know, I like to get some candles and uh, set the mood. And no, seriously, like, it is it is really quite simple. There's um, a bunch of different brands of little, tr- like, tray organizer type things. And depending on where you go, like, you can find them at Michael's for, like, bead organization or scrapbooking organization or whatever. Um, some of the places, like Canadian Tire, Home Depot, they have um, other, other tr- like, garage trays or, like, or tackle, boxes. tackle boxes are a big one as well. I think Plano is one of the brands where they have all kinds of bins that people repurpose for carrying cases and bits, boxes, and that sort of thing. Okay. Basically, any, any way you slice it, it's um, it's like those plastic bins that are like the semi-transparent plastic with shitloads of dividers that you can add or remove to make as big a section as you need. And yeah, realistically, what I like to do is just take... Um, each tray would be for like a different army. Yep, and that's actually exactly what I do as and well. And some armies are big enough that you might need two trays or whatever, like the Space Marines, because I have like four drilled resin and regular Space Marines and like heresy plastic. And yeah, there's several, there's several trays for that one, but it really does help you keep things organized. Like you can have like one section that's just 
filled with like 50 space marine heads and one section that's full of like just pistols and pouches and one that's for like bolter arms one that's for like close combat arms one that's for bolters legs so on and so forth yeah and it especially um i i think that that style of bits organization worked really well with a lot of the older plastics when we're getting into these more dynamic kits yes yeah, so it definitely bit, gets a little bit trickier it's a little bit trickier now when it's like arm 46 only works with arm 47 so you yeah. don't want to mix those up necessarily. No, so you definitely want to be a little bit more mindful. But I also, I, I think it's still useful because even the kits that are like that, like I was working on those Gorgrunters, still have a boatload of extra bits that you could organize. Like, I, So I think nowadays I'd be less inclined to pre-clip everything I ever buy because um, it was also like really good for condensing how much space it took up, right? Because you could fit basically a battle company worth of bits into a box that was what, or like a little tray that was about two inches deep and about eight eight inches by ten inches. It would be like the size of a hardcover rule book instead of being a box that takes up half your closet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think uh, lately I've been a little more careful to not completely condense everything. Yeah, I think it's definitely getting to that point where you clip and build the model as you go, and then when you're done, the leftovers get clipped and uh, put into the bins. Yeah, exactly. Just because it'd be way too easy to mess up the ones that specifically have to go together or... And that's right. Actually, I actually go a little further than that. It's usually those two bits that have to go together are usually pretty close on the sprue. So I trim all of the sprue away but leave them on at the same time. But I don't go any further than that. That's actually not a bad plan because if they are with like an inch of sprue, yeah. you can actually store that just as easily in anything that you use. Yeah, yeah. like I said, it's not as much uh, safe speed, but say, uh, space saved. I can talk. But eventually it just takes a little bit of effort. But like you said, some of those are so are so the arms are so close together that wait, this one is at 47 degrees. This one's at 45. Do I want to clip them off and it won't fit right and you'll have your arm gaping in the armpit or whatever the case this this stops it at least. But I have noticed that you're right. You do have to watch that now cuz the two arms are usually linked together now. Not all the kits, mind you, but if there's no linkage, uh, it gets clipped off the sprue and thrown in the box. Yeah, like Space Marines are always going to be fun. I think the only thing that's a little bit more complicated now are some of the special and heavy weapon arms they're a little bit more specific with. Yeah, and the way they're organized, at least on the Mark IV Marine sprues, I know the, the arms were kind of like one strip together on one of the sprues. So yeah. You could actually just clip around that one little section and have that one section just like go on top of your bits box or something. Yeah. And all the arms stay together and stay organized. And you can also use a combination, which I know that you do, where anything that can realistically go in bits boxes, little trays, do that. Other things might just go in some Ziploc bags. Yeah, and I have, um, I actually have those, <coughs> so not, not like necessarily the, the Rubbermaid, but those similar like larger tote bins. Yeah. I actually have a number of those bins with the smaller bits boxes and other bins inside them. So you can, you can have like a Safeway bag full of the things that you couldn't clip off the sprue and just have those next to all of your other bits bins inside this little tote box thing. Yeah, and I think really the punchline here is keeping it organized is really useful. Now, I do... There, there is the other school of thought when it comes to your bits box, which um, at least I used to have this, and I, I know it's probably the first bits box everyone had. Literally was, just like a shoe box. Yeah, just like, a, for me it was actually an old Citadel box when they used to have the, the firmer white ones that had the fold up top and like the, the tabs that go in. Okay. Um, and it was just full of bits. And the downside is that when you're looking for something, you can never find it. 
But the upside is when you're in this kind of mode of, what do I want? And you're kind of like thinking, and it's almost like it's a creative process, and you're rifling through the bits box, and then you, you're not really restricted by like just looking at these things at any given time. So you can find anything that could possibly work. So it's a little bit more freeform and kind of a creative way to approach it, but just don't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> because the top... The like four or five times where you're in a situation where any random bit could work and you're looking and you're kind of just ravaging around happens way less frequently than I need this fucking bolter. Where the fuck is this bolter? Yeah, like when you're trying to find Eltharian's left shoe in a bits box with like six kilograms of pewter, good luck. Right? It's in there somewhere, probably, maybe. Maybe. Unless you like <laughs> jostled it when you moved or last time you had it out, it got stuck in the carpet or went down the... Uh, the heating vent. You never know, right? So I almost lost an AC-10 that way once. It was pretty sad. Ooh, that is really sad. But I got it. It just my arm was kind of bleeding by the time I got it out of the vent. It was cool. Whoa, <laughs> that's dedication. It was way in there, but it was one of those 3D printed like Eastern European models that I would not be able to easily replace. Yeah, that's some commitment to BattleTech, dude. I found like dead ladybugs and stuff before I got to the AC-10. It was weird. There's all kinds of weird things in those vents. Did you get a tetanus <laughs> shot afterwards? No, I got some band aids. It was fine. Fair enough. Found the AC-10. No, that's that's totally fine, man. Um, This is actually, I don't think that in-depth of of a topic. It really is, uh, there's going to be subtle variations to everything with this, right? And you're going to find what works for you, but I can really, uh, I can't recommend enough going to Michael's. They're cheap as fuck. Uh, The ones that I use anyways are maybe like a buck or two per tray. And you can go and get them. And that little bit of extra time for the model kits that you can, if you know you're not going to work on it for a while, or for those sweet extra bits, just make sure you clip them off into there instead of letting them disappear into the ether, right? Um, And whether or not it's baggies or trays or you've got by army or by, like, theme or whatever else, just do it. Like, just just put in that little bit of extra effort and it's going to go a long way. And it's one of those things where you just, you never know when those bits are going to come in handy or it could be something for yourself. It could be, you know, a friend who's desperately looking for more, you know, hats for his elf gang. Yeah, because that's going to happen to everyone. That's totally a regular occurrence in life. I would also say, suggest something else that you can get at Michael's. It'll help you. If you don't have like a billion sprues and uh, thousands and thousands of extra bits hanging around and maybe you're just starting... uh, if you buy those containers that you can buy there that are for bead art, they have a container and inside there's about 20 little tiny containers that fit inside that container and they're big enough that you can throw 20 Space Marine heads in one, no problem, and it, it's all in the same place. It'll be organized somewhat, so. Yeah, especially if you're getting into the game. Yeah. <clears throat> this is something that I know we used to talk about a lot, but I haven't really heard many people talking about bits in the last... A few years. Well, because a lot of companies you can't order bits separately anymore. But but at the same time, like you do get all these extra components in the kits, and yeah, they come in handy for any number of these conversion projects, especially with some of the weird little skirmish games and stuff where they might not have a fully established product line. And you're kind of left improvising a little bit. Yeah, and I guess I should say that um, if you organize your bits, they don't actually take up that much space. So, not that I'm encouraging hoarding, but I am. I know I am. I'm straight up encouraging hoarding when it comes to bits because had it not been for the fact that I kept the tiny Space Marine bits that I would never, ever, ever, ever use 
for models that I'm never, ever, ever going to paint. Because they look bad on Space Marines, and you don't like painting Space Marines. So, yeah, they were they could have just gone in the garbage. But ten years later, you would have been sad. I, it would have been quadruple the work had I not been able to find those bits and use those bits. Minimum. Because instead of sculpting pouches on, you know, what will eventually be a dozen models, I could just do, like, a little bit of filing and then glue, and that was it. It was so easy. So easy. <laughs> so It was so ridiculously easy. Um, it's so much so that I strongly encourage... I'm actually pushing for this right now. I want a, I want a, Mel, a Melmachian movement, and this is not a test. I want other people to do this as well. So if, any, if anyone is, is listening, that's thinking about getting into playing, this is not a test, go to 4A Miniatures. Uh, it's based out of the UK. It's two pounds a model for the Alf Dudes. And they're super easy to convert, and we're going to take over this entire game with a bunch of weird, ravenous ALF fans. Or it'll just be me. That's fine, too. If I'm the only one, that's okay. <laughs> but it was really easy to do, and even if you don't do it with ALF, find a random model that you think is cool that's in a simple pose, and you can do anything you want with some guns and a couple of random bits and maybe a couple sweet hats. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so moving on, this kind of segues pretty nicely into kind of talking about some of the, the general ideas or attitudes around converting models. I don't, I, I can't remember if we've really talked about converting much before. I think we might have briefly touched on it, like, a couple of years ago, maybe. maybe. Briefly, maybe, but not, <laughs> not, nothing in depth. Yeah, so I guess for me, there's kind of, there's two schools of thought when it comes to conversions. There is uh, conversions that don't look like conversions. And then the ones that that invariably do look like conversions. And I like to almost describe it as like, it's kind of a newer term that I came up with, but like first and second degree conversions. Nice. Which the difference being premeditation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think to break down that uh, that analogy a little bit, so the the premeditated or more seamless conversions a lot of the time are the ones that really do require a lot of extra planning a lot of extra measurement, and just like really all that extra like brain power to map everything out, make sure it's all going to work, make it all nice and perfect and seamless so it looks like something that fits together so well it could conceivably be an off-the-shelf miniature. Yeah, which traditionally are also my favorite conversions. The the kind of the unsung heroes of the, I, I guess, of tournaments, right? There's those armies that are very obviously converted, and then there's the ones that are heavily converted, but you never know unless you actually knew the model range really, really well. Yeah. And those ones, to me, have always been the ones that have kind of blown me away, blown me away the most because they take so much more work. Yeah, and it's I think when you get that comment or overhear someone being like, "Where did you buy this model?" Not how did you convert it? Like that's usually a sign that you you've kind of tricked them, right? Like it's something that looks so good that they expect it to be like a professionally done miniature. Which, yeah, that is for me. That's that's what I tend to gravitate towards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mike, what kind of... Why don't you tell, walk us through what was the last conversion you did? Oh. You see, this is where I'm bad. I hate converting. Yeah? Because I can't do the subtle conversion properly. So it gets trashed. And then it's like, I'm not touching that. And I'll try it again. I, I, I still try, but I haven't been able to pull it off enough that I'm happy enough to actually so show somebody how's that okay what was the last thing you tried to convert uh last thing i tried to convert uh it was what was it 
it was actually a long, long time ago. It was, uh, I was trying to convert, no, actually it was recent. It was the de- new Death Watch. I was trying to do a conversion for that and it just didn't seem to work out the way I wanted to. The angle of the arm was just off, not quite right, and chopping and chopping and I just gave up after a while. <laughs> okay. Well, what about, um, well, let's do this quickly around the table because I think it's kind of fun. Um, what was what was your most recent conversion, Dan? I'm trying to remember the most meaningful one because so many of the conversions that I've been doing are relatively small modifications. Like in a lot of the BattleTech miniatures that I'm doing, I'm changing it from one variant to another. So, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, changing some of the weapon loadouts, um, like swapping weapon barrels or improvising them. Uh, in some cases, uh, doing like chopping the legs apart and repositioning the the knees into. So just being like a standing there like. Ready pose. Yeah. Okay. So, like, like positioning the legs so it's like running or jumping or stuff. Like so that that to me that's almost more of a repose than a conversion. What's the last like real conversion that you did? I'm trying to think because I haven't done as much hobby stuff um, substantially. I don't think some of the, you know, just using different components necessarily from my Space Marines count because for me that's second nature. But it might even just come back to some of those Borderlands miniatures that are or style miniatures that I was converting for this is not a test. So, like, the, um, one of the ones that I airbrushed the other day was, he looks a lot like Mordecai from uh, Borderlands, what is he, from Borderlands 2? Yep. And so the he's kind of like, yeah, the Gunzerker. So he's got, um, like, this gigantic crazy shotgun in one hand and, like, an SMG and, um, like, he actually had knee pads sculpted onto the model with, like, the little, you know, strap, like, you know, holding them in place. And I didn't want those knee pads there. So out comes the X-Acto knife, and thank God I got the uh, Resin Masters from Hassle-Free rather than the Pewter one. Oh, God. Because I basically whittled the uh, knee pads and straps away and carved them into, like, the flowing shapes of, like, his jeans. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also the gun on him I chopped off, because I think he had, what are they called, the saw, like, the automatic, like, heavy or light machine guns yep. from, like, uh, modern military miniatures. So he had one of those. I chopped it off and wanted to give him one of the crazy, like triple-barreled, insane, souped-up shotguns from Borderlands. So it kind of had the back end of one of the uh, forge-rolled bolt guns, one of the resin ones. Whoa! And um, the front end chopped off, and it had, I think the little grip underneath the muzzle was um, also salvaged from that same bolt gun. But it had, like, three plastic hard tube gun barrels and a little bit of green stuff bridging everything. It had, like, a scope on it and a bayonet and a giant like drum feed ammo clip and everything so basically it went crazy and sculpted on some like shield generators and stuff like that so it was again a combination of plastic hard green stuff forge world bits hassle-free miniatures um yeah just everything plus some random concoction of bits on the base and everything but it was very much like um that premeditated style where i had a specific type of shotgun that I, I did a bunch of just like Google image searches for Borderlands shotguns because for those who aren't familiar with that game, um, it has like RPG style randomized stats for the weapons mm-hmm. and all the components that make up the 3D model have the stats attached to them. So like the the muzzle and the receiver and the stock and the grip and the accessories, they all change what the weapon does. So if you want it to be a specific manufacturer, a specific style, like it'll look different. And yeah, so I was able to do a lot of research for Borderlands and figure out exactly what I was going for and um, map it all out in my head and do a little bit of measuring and cutting and uh, a little bit of sculpting and, you know, fudging here and there to make it all work. And it it was a lot of work. Like that shotgun probably took 
as long to convert as you know a couple of your ALF miniatures were? Uh, probably most of the ALF miniatures. <laughs> but I think I think that's a critical difference here is that you were not just like f- flying off the off the seat of your pants making a conversion here. You had source material, and I think one of the critical points to doing a good job of converting a model if you're wanting it to have that very refined, looks like a real model, even though it's heavily converted, is that source material. So you actually have something that you're referring back to to try to make it look like, so it gives you a lot more structure as you're going through. That's a good Um, way of putting it. I guess for me, obviously the ALF crew was my most recent, but I'm going to spin this one around, um, and we're going to ask you guys what the first thing you ever converted was, and I'm going to start with that myself. And for me, my first real conversion was doing a Vindicator, for my Iron Warriors, using the new, at that point, new chassis, because that was before the new Vindicator model had come out, so it was actually just the, um, I got the metal front from the of the classic Vindicator and chopped it to fit on the new plastic Rhinos. Yep. And then on top of that, I converted up a crucified Imperial Fist to ride <laughs> on the back, because... Because Iron Warriors. Yeah, right? The spiky bits are the best bits. Yeah, and so it was really fun because I took the Space Brain and I had, because back then, all of the the Night Goblins and the Skeletons and the Clan Rats, all the same command sprue, I had a bunch of, like, skeleton hands and zombie hands and bone bits kicking around from that command sprue from the Skeletons. Mm-hmm. So I actually had the guy with, like, two zombie hands and there was, like, a chunk of bone coming out of one of his legs that had been cut off. And, like, it, I think even looking back at it now, it's still, like, kind of cool. Um, especially considering the fact that it was done probably 14 years ago. Um, and then I had I actually used a piece of sprue to make the crucifix. <laughs> because it was perfect. It was already there. I just had to, like, cut it down, and it was fine. And then, like, a little bit of the some of the tank bits kind of flushing it all out. And that was, that was funny that I carved out one of the, one of the um, lenses on the side of his head to make it look like he'd been shot through the head. And, <laughs> like, it was fun. But, and definitely <laughs> that, like, improvised, just, like, hack and slash and away you go sort of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it all started with just, like, here's this Vindicator that I put a bit of effort into, like, making cool. And then I'm like, how can I make it cooler? And then it just goes from there. And I find for me a lot of a lot of the conversions that I really like are the ones where they start with like you look at the model and you're like something's not quite done yet. And then you kind of try to figure it from there. That's where I get a lot of my converting from. And it's always kind of been that style of like you look at it and you're just like it's not 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 quite. This elf just needs a just needs a bowler hat. Oh my god. <laughs> oh I, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. Yeah. Whereas I do find that a lot of the times I'm I'm coming from the opposite direction where instead of having a built model that I'm just like trying to push over the top, it is often like a piece of artwork or like a screenshot from a video game or some random other thing where I'm like, this artwork looks really cool. There's no miniature like that. Yeah. So how in God's name am I going to make one? Yeah. So Dan, what was your first? My first conversion, that was the first significant conversion I ever did was probably... Actually, some of my Chaos Space Marines, too, way back in the day. Nice. Because my Ultramarines sure shit weren't converted. They were, I was trying to make them look like the box. Yep. But um, I had I had a unit of Possessed that I was doing before there were Possessed models. Yep. And so that was using basically just some of the existing plastics at the time, plus uh, one of the Chaos Spawn that you could get for Fantasy, where it was kind of like 
basically like a little blob with like a million holes drilled in it that the tentacles would then insert into. They were really shitty models. Oh, I know the one with like the weird like scorpion-ish looking spiky tail thing on the back. Yeah, and it would have like a random like octopus tentacle and it would have like a slug head with the like eye stalks and everything and just dozens and dozens of these stupid bits. And so basically I was just smashing together a lot of those chaos spawn parts onto space marine bodies. So like, nice. you know, the arms would just be coming out from underneath the shoulder pad and would just be all tentacles everywhere. And you know, the head with the, you know, the eye stalks and all the other bullshit or just like the mouths on the end of like a long neck with no eyes and stuff. Cause that's also kind of creepy and chaosy. Mm-hmm. But so that was probably one of the first. And there was also a champion for that same army. He was an iron warrior one. Cause one of my tactical, whatever chaos squads was iron warriors as it should. And I think one was night lords, but the, the iron warrior sergeant actually had a unicycle set of legs from Gorka Morka bits. Nice. Just cause, cause chaos. Why not? Cause chaos is weird and he's mechanical. So he had the like mechanical unicycle legs from one of the, I think it was from like one of the conversion bits for doing cyborgs. Hmm. Just had some random fucking bits. I miss Gorka Morka for bits alone. <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty cool shit in there. That's oh, cool. to be 14 again. How about you, Mike? What was the first thing you ever converted? First thing, or the first time I really made a, a hard <coughs> effort to convert, because to me there's a difference. Well, something beyond, like, arm swaps. Okay. It would be my Necromunda gang, the Vansars, uh, playing, having a ball, blast, playing this game. I got this weapon. That's really cool. Okay, I'll go buy that model. What do you mean that model doesn't exist with that weapon? That's right, because they had all those mono, like, one-piece models with, like, a heavy plasma gun or with, like, an auto rifle or, or stutter. But yeah. for the special weapons, each gang had a couple of miniatures available, but not the full range of right. So, yep. because what triggered it was the Vindicator Assassin... His sniper rifle, and you get a sniper rifle there. So, of course, chopping that off was uh, not fun. This might be why I don't enjoy it as much, because it's lead or pewter. Uh, I actually think it was lead back then. Anyways, you had to chop off the rifle. Then you had to reshape it so that it would fit in one of the models that you had in the line. And then, of course, you got a plasma gun or you got a missile launcher. Oh, shit, that doesn't have that. Go again, chop it off this. Okay, autocan. Wait, there's nobody that has an autocan. I don't like the way that autocan looks. <laughs> I got to build this up. And so my vans are 50% of them are converted. But I have every weapon in the sun on that game. And I think that's something that um, I, I don't imagine. And I, I don't want to sound old man here, but yeah. a lot of people that are playing today... I don't think fully appreciate what Games Workshop was like 15 years ago. When there'd be an, an orc codex that only had models for half of the unit entries. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, that, that was what it was like to be <clears throat> a gamer that wasn't playing Space Marines back yeah. in the day. You had to convert stuff. Like, you wanted Ard Boys? You, okay, you would just sculpt, like, scars and bigger muscles and shit onto all your orcs. That's no big deal. That's just what you do. You want uh, Wood Elf Chariot? You convert that shit, because that model don't exist. <laughs> that's a lot. Did we have one? You have a Wood Elf Chariot? Yeah. Holy shit. <clears throat> oh, that's like fourth that model though, isn't it? Uh, or second. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. So the model was still was out of production for a decade when it was still in the rule set. Okay, well, I'm just saying I had it. It was the guy. You're talking about the... On the top, you're sounding like an old man. <sighs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. 
But that's the one with the four guys inside the chariot, right? It's a four-horse chariot? Yeah. Yeah, I got that one. Whoa, that is old balls. We're just slightly impressed, that's all. Is it painted? Yes, but not to the level I'm at now. How's that? That's fine. My wood elves aren't painted to the level I'm at now. <laughs> um, okay, I have to see that. What else was my first army ever? Sorry, I'm just like... Horrible radio right now, but that's kind of blowing my mind that you actually have one of those models. But the, the moral of the story was, yeah. we had to do a lot more converting back in the day because there wasn't the options that there are now. Yeah. It's not like they'd release a data slate with every possible permutation of weapon option you need mm-hmm. with, like, sweet multi-part plastics. Like, that shit wasn't a thing. No, that was not an option. So, uh, I guess for me it's kind of fun going back to my roots converting. Um... So getting into a little bit more, because we, we kind of talked about a lot of those general themes when we were just kind of rehashing some stories of what we were working on. Almost like I was thinking about this ahead of time. Almost. Right? <laughs> um, so, like, Dan, you really talked about uh, the idea of really how you do, like, that premeditated model, looking at source material, and then I kind of touched on the idea of, like, looking at a model and being like, huh, that's not quite done yet. Um, I think the one recommendation... A passion conversion. Yes, the passionate heat conversion. Um, one of the things that I would recommend is that we'll often brandish a tip of when you're highlighting, especially if you're wanting to do it kind of more for like that army painting or that conventional um, competition style, which isn't, doesn't necessarily mean better, but it's like if you want that really striking scheme, paint it, and when you think you're done, add one more highlight. It's kind of like that general idea, which is painting to a specific style, maybe not the best way to paint, but it will give you a more striking model, especially on the tabletop. A little extra contrast. Um, don't use that rule for converting, because <laughs> you can't just paint over. So you want to be really kind of mindful. Like, you look at the model, you're like, what can I add now? And so, like, when I was working on these ALF models, it all started with the guns. Everything started with the guns. You get the gun on there, and then you start adding in the belts. And depending on how big the gun was or where it was, maybe I'm adding in a pistol holster or a combat knife. Maybe it's just grenades and pouches. Maybe it's like one of the bigger pouches. But you really want to kind of gauge the model more holistically and kind of like look at it and kind of be mindful as you continue to add and never be afraid to say, fuck it, it's done. And stop. Because you could get ridiculous really fast doing it this way. So you want to... <laughs> could? Okay, shut up, people. This, Of course this is ridiculous, but this is... There is literally no way that I could have done this that would not have been ridiculous. True. Like, I could have premeditated... But it's but they stopped short of being, like, cluttered and busy and shitty. <laughs> and I think that's the big thing, is you don't want to be too cluttered. If you're converting a model, go ahead and be weird. Go ahead and be adventurous and try something, like, completely absurd. But don't add so much detail that you're losing the model underneath. You don't want to be adding in 18 layers of shit onto your model. Yep. And being like, it's a sweet conversion. It's like... I would argue it's similar to those models where they're nothing but freehand, where you can't even really see the detail in the model anymore. Is that a better paint job to have tons of freehand? No, no, it's not. Tasteful freehand in the right spot, absolutely amazing. But you don't want to be just, like, throwing all of the shit onto the model and losing any real tone or definition or character. And, yeah, that's that's a good point. There's a couple of things that I like to really keep in mind when I'm doing my conversion to specifically is... Um, a lot of it is just trying to realize that the more stuff that you're adding and more details and everything, a lot of the time it's more colors that you actually have to use in the paint scheme afterwards. 
So in a lot of cases, it's being mindful of like, what am I adding to the model and how is it going to affect the color scheme? If I add this here within the army color scheme. Okay. I have to paint this shoulder pad white. So if I do this big, crazy shoulder pad in this dynamic pose, it's going to like draw attention to the wrong parts of the model. So like there are a lot of, a lot of the time it's keeping the, yeah, the, the colors in, in mind for me. Which is a really good point, and I kind of wish that the people that sculpted the Seventh and Wood Elves had thought about that. <laughs> yeah, those fuck way, you. Those Weight Watchers where you're just like, it's really lumpy, and I don't know what's what anymore. <laughs> There's like 18 leaves per square millimeter, and everything's got 14 vines Covered on it. Covered in bamboo shoots and ropes and fur and God knows what, and you can't tell what's flash and what's detail and what's what. Yeah. Like... I think that, you know, that is, that is the rule for me. If it looks like Wood Elves from that era, it looks like you've done too much. Yeah, if it looks like a 7th Ed <laughs> Wood Elf Weight Watcher, you done fucked up, son. Yeah. If it looks like 6th, like 5th Ed Pewter Weight Watchers, you've done something right, because those models were amazing. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, so that's... And, sorry, the other point is also in converting, a lot of the time people approach converting to, like, what can I add to a model? A lot of times I take the opposite track of what can I cut off? Yeah. So, like, a lot of chaos models that I did, for example, especially fantasy ones, I was, like, chopping off horns, chopping off spiky bits, uh, turning some of the, like, really elaborate trim on the edge of your shoulder pad, just chopping it off and having just, like, a sheet of armor with none of those, like, um, extra details on the side. And in a lot of ways, it was because I was trying to simplify certain areas of the model so that I could do a little bit of freehand or a little bit of a different blend or whatever and not be distracting away from it. Or yeah. just because there was something on that I didn't know what color to paint it without fucking up the paint scheme, so I just chopped it off. And it's a much more valid technique when you're working with chaos models generally, because there's so many details on there. But that in, are unnecessary for the most part. But yeah, in a lot of cases, or even just chopping like excess skulls off space marines. Yeah. So there's there are a lot of cases where you can chop off some of those extra bits, just cut them flush to the rest of the model. It'll actually make the model paint up faster, it'll make it simpler for the color scheme. So removing parts of the model can be just as valid as adding. That's a very good point. Or you can just add bayonets and bolt and scopes and all kinds of ridiculous <laughs> shit to the weapons because I bought all those bits and they're so cool. Yeah, they absolutely <laughs> are. Um, and I think one of the, the best points you're making here is that when you're converting, always keep your color scheme in mind. Every time you're adding stuff, that's, like, that's probably... Um, I've always kind of thought about that and I was actively thinking about that with these elf models, but I've never really articulated that before of like, of really making sure you can actually balance out the model with the colors you want to use when it's done. Yeah. That's good take home. Um, so to summarize, I guess, unless you guys have any more points, um, realistically speaking here, when you're looking at converting models, um, if you want to be that more detailed thought out, use reference material. Um, just to keep yourself in, on, in track, on, in line, on track. There we go. I can speak too. It's not just you, Mikey. It's also yeah. me that fucks up. Uh, so you basically, you've got that, um, and take your time, be careful, be precise, never be afraid to do addition by subtraction where taking off things like shin pads or spiky bits or whatever can actually make the model, uh, look more complete in some ways, mm -hmm. especially if it's the aesthetic you're going for. Uh, and then when you are kind of kind of winging it a little bit more, be mindful to not add too much clutter or make sure you're balancing the clutter out. So it's not all in one place. It's not like you have this one guy with like a bolter with 18 new bits on it and then a combat knife that looks like he's going to fucking fall over. Right. <laughs> 
Yep, that's an excellent point. Um, and kind of rounding that out. And I think for me, something that I'm really coming back to myself is at the end of the day, it's your hobby, it's your fun, uh, and it do something that's authentic to what you're wanting to do. Don't force a conversion. Do um, do it in a way that makes you happy, um, and and try to be excited about your models. I'm sorry, I'm getting like a little bit weird right now, but like, goddamn, I have an elf crew. This is ridiculous, and I love it. <laughs> So, um, and in other news, convert up some, this is not a test cause we're going to be getting some more of that gaming going on here locally. And I really am quite excited to do it. Yeah. So if anyone's wanting to try out some or get in on some, like, let me know. Especially if you have the rules cause we don't have rule books. I did download the cheap rules. Oh, nice. Or like, and when I say cheap, I mean free, but like the trial rules. Yeah. Well, that's a start. I think so. And yeah, and I think that game will harken back to that um, Necromunda you're a lot too with, or Mordheim, whatever your flavor was uh, back in the day. Like oh, yeah. 1997. But uh, yeah. Well, so, thanks. Don't, don't age me or nothing. No. Dude, it's okay. I had those games too. Don't worry. <laughs> we, we just said the year. You're the one that was in your 20s. Yeah. <laughs> was he in And there you dated him. <laughs> what, was it 30s? Fuck off, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, should be good. And uh, keeping a few extra models handy for when we inevitably have to, like, model a guy with a horrific arm injury or something. Ooh. Not such a bad funny. thing. Because you don't want to have to, like, mail order bits and wait a month when you have a campaign ongoing. Absolutely. So, um, I guess for the last period today, holy shit, White Dwarf. I never thought I would say this ever again. They look good. Yeah, the like now that we've seen a few more issues of the new format, White Dwarf, they're solid. Like they're the content in there is good. The magazine, like just the look and feel of it. Like the uh, we've got the November issue with the custodians and uh, the Thousand Suns on the front, and it's like it's like velvety. It's soft. It's smooth. It's matte, and the custodians are nice and shiny. And it didn't go up fifty percent in price. Yeah, like it's it's solid, and the paint guides in it are actually really useful. Yeah, that was probably one of my biggest complaints with um, with White Dwarf for the last decade, is that every time they're like, use this color, use that color, I mix these ones with this one to get this one. No, you didn't. You used a, you used a paint from a different miniature range, and you can't fucking put it in the goddamn magazine. Yeah, like there would be there would be those ridiculous color blends where you could see that there's like seven or eight different things going on, and there'd be like three steps on the page. Whereas yep. in this White Dwarf, it goes on and talks about like the the article on painting the cloaks. It, um, how many steps does it have? See, there is four steps for base coating, three steps for shading, eight steps for layering, one of the steps being feather 20 layers of a heavily thinned highlight, and then there's three steps of adding scratches and four more steps of glazing and touch-ups. Right? So, like, these guys are, they're going full on. Like, there's, there's probably all told, like, 40 or 50 steps to actually perfectly recreate a studio miniature to like a golden demon level and have that like heavily scratched up cracked leather awesomeness with the really subtle color blends and the hint of you know the hint of color and the shades and that sort of thing like these color guides are freaking amazing and and then the textured base one where not only does it show off a bunch of the different textured paints they have but it gives you the color combos to like wash it and highlight it yeah, so there will be three or four different combinations of um, shades and dry brushes for all the different texture paints to get just very slightly different looking effects. Like, they're, 
Like, these are super handy. Like, and, and especially for... I think this is one where a hobbyist of any level could pick up this magazine, go pick up those paints, and do this on their bases. Yeah, like, obviously you're not going to be able to do the 20 feathering thing if you're not just starting out, but... Yeah, that is not showing the bases, Showing how to do the bases and get the different looks, anybody should be able to pick up. Or, and with a little trial and error, get it to how they got it to look. And so not only do you have useful content for the experienced and the seasoned painter, you have useful content for everybody. Yeah. And it's actually well done. Um, for the most part. There is a caveat here. They have not completely hit this one out of the park. And Dan, do you want to... You're the one that pointed this ridiculousness out, so... I'm trying to remember what it was now. It was the, the ridiculous the tints. tints. Oh, the tints guide where that... Yeah, there's one article, and it's actually, um, there's a PDF of it on the website as well, where it's talking about how to use the, uh, the tint products that aren't out yet, the artificer tints or whatever they're called, where it's all photoshopped images. There's, so it's like, you add this color to this color, and it gets this weird, like, almost wood grain effect on it, and you're like, what the fuck does this even mean? Especially because so, they're, they're not even that specific as to what the fuck the tints actually are. Like, are they dry pigments? Are they, like, just ultra-dense paint pigments, but still kind of a liquidy texture? Are they inks? We, I, we don't know. Um, the set comes with kind of, like, the... Uh, almost like the little shovel-looking scraper things that you use for, like, the texture paints. It comes with some of those, so I'm leaning towards it being kind of, like, thicker and crustier almost. But, like, so that particular one, I have no idea why they didn't actually take any photographs of the product in use. They tried these weird, like, digital simulations of it. I can't make heads or tails of what is supposed to be going on. Like, they talk about how you can use the tints to very subtly change. Um, like, you can change a teal to a slightly more green or slightly more blue by adding the appropriate tint. But, or add, add something to black to make it a very slightly tinted black. And it's like, but you could just add paint to black and make a slightly tinted black. So, and these simulated so, photos don't make fair, any sense. You're questioning the product... And but the way they displayed it. We don't know how they actually work. Yeah, and I think the, the failing here for me is that this is where they should have been able to take the five minutes, and maybe it'll be next month. Like, maybe but these products weren't in finished produ in production yet, So because the, the magazine is often a couple of months um, behind. Yeah. Like, they have to make the magazine content a few months ago to have it for sale and on the shelves today. But I think for me, if they're going to do a, an article about the upcoming product, you need to... And Games Workshop's really bad with this with their hobby supplies, I'm not actually saying really what the fuck they are. Like, I, I would love to know exactly what they... They kind of make up these new names for things and make up a use for a product, but don't actually tell me what it is. Yeah. Right? Like, their their new gem series or whatever the fuck they are. They don't really say what they are. It's kind of that... It's kind of an ink, and it's kind of thicker, and kind of not. You can use it for this. But they don't say, like exactly what kind of acrylic paint is mixed with what kind of medium to get this kind of thing. Which admittedly is probably because they don't want people recreating it at home, but... Or Vallejo to come out with it. They're going to do later. it anyways, because yeah. they've already done it with every other range they they'll, have. They'll figure it out eventually. Yeah, because <laughs> they have paint ranges too. Um, but it would be nice just to know what the hell they are, and if you're... My issue is if you're going to talk about it, actually give real information, because right now... They have real photographs. Yeah, because this... I would, it would have probably been better for the product to not have it in there at all than to give us this, where I'm instantaneously, like, a little nervous about this product. Especially, and it's especially <clears> that <throat> contrast of having, having that really good base texture paint, um, 
article, having that really good, you know, leather and cloak article with the insane amount of steps and really good step-by-step photographs to have sandwiched between those, like these weird Photoshopped images where you can't tell what the hell is going on. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So I guess overall, considering the fact that white dwarf hasn't gone up in price, I think maybe like a dollar since it used to be a thing a couple years ago. Yeah, I think like a million years ago it was like seven fifty a magazine, but then but it's been ten or eleven forever. It's been ten since two thousand six. So the fact that they didn't turn the jacket up to fifteen or eighteen or twenty is actually kind of amazing, especially because it's thicker than they used to be. Yeah, there is significantly more pages than ever before. So I'm so, actually you know what to me the base thing is is they've made this now something that I want to have. And collect just for reference, if for nothing else. Uh, not even if I don't care what the models are. I want to see what their their paint tips are now. I want to see this, or is there an article on how somebody did this or converted that or anything else like that, or a showcase of a nice paint job. Yeah. It's it's all there now instead of, well, you have to buy this one. Oh, this one doesn't have any of this. Like there's some really nice photographs of like armies on parade and golden yep. demon coverage and absolutely like I said that's, that's one of the few nice things about them splitting up the golden demon competition all those like little mini ones throughout the year so now you have content for the magazine on a regular basis well especially now that there's only one games day yeah because that helped a lot when there's a games day every month globally but but yeah uh, overall um, I think we should rate this and I'd give it a solid four it's worth buying it's not that expensive. It's not perfect because it's Games Workshop and they have yet to give anything, give us anything perfect in a long time. But that 4, maybe 4.5, puts it well into the realm of worth getting every month. Yeah, I still, I still don't know if I would give it a subscription just because there's going to be months where the content isn't necessarily what you're after. But the amount of variety in here is higher than ever. Like there's, It's not going to be as hit or miss as it used to be, I don't think, so it's, it is a lot safer bet. Yeah, I think that four, four and a half kind of territory is entirely reasonable for White Dwarf, and it's been a long time since we could say that. And I'm going to give it a five, because wow. they've changed it enough that it can bring people back. It's still going to have mistakes, yes, I know this, but it's not going to have enough mistakes that it make a difference to me. That's fair. Oh, so they screwed up the Photoshop and they didn't really tell us, but they told us how to do this and how to do this, and that's what I really was worried about. And there's really wanted to like rules for the heresy stuff, scenarios. Yeah, and that's exactly they're giving cool you artwork, color they're giving schemes, you everything. Fluff, maybe not what you want Armies on here. parade, battle reports. Wow. And I think they have like centerfolds a lot of the time too. Oh shit. I don't know what it is. Oh no, he's gonna get the lotion out. Thanks, Dan. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's Blood Ravens. Yeah. Tom gives no fucks. <laughs> but hey, it was a good thought. I'm sure there's going to be mo- enough people love Space Marines that Centerfold will get sticky. Like, it's fun. It not, it's not my thing, but... And I'm also kind of glad it's not going to get sticky because it is my copy of White Dwarfs. So. Yeah, true. There's even some Dark Eldar stuff in here. What the shit? People still play Dark Eldar? I, yeah, people still play 40k? <laughs> Uh, oh, it's so much easier when Steve is here to be like, well, actually, this game's amazing. Um, we love you, Steve. Holy shit. <laughs> it keeps going. Yeah, that magazine it just never stops. It's like a bottomless pit of content. Yeah, there's a lot there. Like I said. They have Tale of Four Gamers? Yeah. That's what? It's been going on for the last three issues, I thought, actually. Something shit. like that. I haven't picked up every single issue. And so it's I don't all Age of Sigmar guys, too. Yeah. 
damn. Well, fuck me. This is cool. <laughs> Put the lotion down, Tom. I'm not so gonna you do still going to give it a four? I gave it a four and a half. Oh, okay. Cool. I. You know what? I'm looking at this. Here's the thing. If they could do this every month, it's a five. And so far, they... They have They've been actually, keeping it up for the first few months. Yeah, it, I'm just saying. So far, it's it hasn't really gone down at all. It's been this it's quality actually, every month. Yes, I can't give it a five then. Shit. Like I said, it's, it's not worth, perfect, but it's got enough in there that I don't care about the imperfections. And for eleven dollars, yeah. Like yeah, if you're remotely interested in what's going on that month from GW, you kind of can't go wrong. Even if you're not, you just want the additional content, like. That's worth it. The only, you know what? No, I'll give it a four and a half for one reason, one reason alone. I still have like 30 or 40 white dwarves from before that are just taking up space and I haven't had the heart to just incinerate yet. Yeah, I hate the idea of burning any kind of like books or magazines or anything. It just offends me. But like, what the fuck am I going to do with those white dwarves with like rules compendiums for 30 You're going to carry them around every three to five years when you move, just like I do. And I've, that is it. But you know what? I actually keep mine, but when I flip back, it's for nostalgia reason, reasons only. It's like, oh, hey, there's the Gene Steeler limo. I got that, Meg. Oh. Yeah, but your nostalgia is like real nostalgia. That's, I was going to be more mean, but I cut it off. But like, <laughs> that's a long ass time ago. Whereas mine was kind of in the, because back then the magazine didn't suck. But a lot of mine are kind of from that early 2000s. Okay, yeah. When it really did kind of suck. Yeah. I did stop buying it for about a five-year stretch, I think. Hmm. There, yeah, there's a stretch where I was just like, yeah, I'll buy it once in a while. And then when they switched to the, is it Visions? Yeah, when they had the weekly. And the I didn't even touch it at that point. I was, Oh, yeah. That was. That was like whatever. The biggest, I think one of the bigger mistakes they've ever made with White Dwarf. Yeah. But, yeah, so I think. Uh, I could. I don't think I could really recommend it enough. So if you, if you haven't looked at it in a while, it's worth your time to blow eleven bucks and buy one just to see what it's like. If nothing else, especially it's, if it's, it's a, a lot better. Especially if it's oh a yeah, like uh, the, the the you get that free model for the first one, which was worth thirty five bucks. And there's like a free character for yeah. the total war Warhammer game. Which is a neat add-on because it's one of those things that basically costs them more or less zero dollars. So it's not like they're having to like ship it and you know any of that kind of garbage. Well it probably costs somebody like a week's worth of development time. Yeah sure. But that I'm sorry I'm not trying to say it's like didn't cost no cost. I'm just saying like it's not increasing the shipping costs. It's not really yes. impacting your cost for buying the book. And it's good transportation cost. costs. It's and good it's cross fucking promotion. cool. Like, I'm sure, uh, oh shit, what's the name? Is it Sega that makes Total War now or whatever? But they're probably happy because they're getting, like, a second potentially wave of people going, oh, hey, what's Total War Warhammer all about? And, you know, you get something free in your White Dwarf. It's a good cross-promotion technique, for sure. I hope they kind of include some add-on stuff for some of the board games. Yeah, like, they, they add new scenarios to, um, you know, some of the other board games and stuff. Every couple yeah. issues of White Dwarf. Yeah. Like, they have the Contemptor Dreadnoughts from Calf have rules for... Uh, the, about burning a Prospero, really? Yeah. Nice. So like they're they're doing those cool content add-ons to the board games too, which gives them a little bit more legs and gives you a good reason to buy the White Dwarf if you needed another one. Like they're yeah. they're actually doing a good go- good job of cross promoting and uh, making you want to buy this damn magazine, which I never thought would be a thing again. That's amazing. 
So, yeah, check it out. So, Ward's not here with our list of events. Uh, so, in this kind of wrap-up, I do want to just talk about something, um, especially for those listeners that are in Edmonton. As it stands right now, our food bank is demolished. With all the incidents that happened in Fort Mac and the economy, like, I've been hearing stories of people going to the food bank and leaving with Doritos and Gatorade. So, if you can take an opportunity in the next in the next week or two and take some real food, like canned vegetables, um, hygiene products like soap or toothpick, toothbrush, toothpaste, like those kinds of things, and get involved even a little bit uh, will help. Because not only has the economy been a bad, has been pretty brutal the last 18 months, but with all the natural disasters and people coming to Edmonton for relief, uh, the food bank's kind of at an all-time low for their stores. So they're kind of hurting and in pretty desperate need. And this is also the time of year that normally sees some of the biggest use of the food bank. Yeah, going into the holidays, that's for sure. So if you can take that little bit of time and um, either donate like 20, 30 bucks because they can buy in bulk and have lots of buying power. So money to the food bank's almost better than taking food just because they can get really good discounts. And so that $20 could go twice as far. Or or drop off food, right? It doesn't really matter. But I think right now, um, getting out and doing even that little bit, uh, if everyone's doing it, it's going to make the lives of so many people that much better. So, serious rants off. I just wanted to say that because it's, like, really dire right now. So, I, nerds are great people. Go out and be great people. And it's not even any holiday bullshit. It's just, like, it's a need right now. And let's be decent humans. Let's do this shit. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so, anything else, boys? Nothing for me. So until next time, play some games, have some fun, paint your fucking models. Hey, 